Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. With the older demographic, I think building rapport is really important. Maybe opening up a booth at a farmer's market and inviting people in to come and talk. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, you'll learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to educate customers on the science and ingredients in your product, how to sell to the 60 years old and up demographic, and how marketing and PR changes when you move from selling direct to customers to B2B. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Jawahir from Battle Bomb. Battle Bomb is a 100% all natural and herbal analgesic bomb specifically developed for contact sports and was started in 2013 and based out of San Diego, California. Welcome, Dylan. Hey, Felix. How are you? Good, good. So tell us a bit more about the, this bomb. How does it work? Uh, so it's a, it's a topical pain reliever. Um, it's 100% plant-based, uh, steeped in traditional Chinese medicine, uh, completely herbal, uh, we source uh, 20 different ingredients for our formulation, and uh, it's uh, in, in the anal- in the topical analgesic industry, uh, we would be comparable to um, some of the other brands that are in there, like uh, Tiger Bomb, Flexol, mm-hmm. Icy Hot. Uh, basically, used for um, any sort of muscular soreness, aches and pains, typical uh, everyday uh, body pain. Got it. Now, how did you choose this particular industry to get into? So I, I'm an acupuncturist and an herbalist. Uh, I went to school for acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And uh, this bomb actually sort of sprouted out of my practice, my private practice. Um, I was seeing a lot of pain patients and um, uh, I was looking for something that uh, a, a topical product that I, I could believe in, something that um, I knew all the ingredients too. I knew where they were from, um, and something of a higher quality than what I saw available on the market. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that there were twenty different ingredients, so it sounds like obviously a very extensive process to develop a product like this. It wasn't just like you know you slap a couple of things together and put it onto the market. You had a formula that you created. What was the process to 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 come up with that? So, so BattleBomb actually. Um, it took about two years before we hit the market. Um, there was a lot of research that I needed to do, uh, you know, basically looking at what the competitors were offering in that space, uh, checking out what was available in the, uh, the ancient Chinese texts. Uh, I, I had some textbooks with formulas in it. And, uh, you know, I looked and compared different formulas and tried to figure out, you know, what are the uh, the key components that I could use to um, to put together a uh, a, a well balanced formulation for today's athlete? Mm, got it. So, you how how are you able to decide what goes in, what should come out? How, what's the process for during during those two years? Like, what was actually going on to to create the formula? So nowadays, uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, technology available to us. Uh, to do testing on uh, active ingredients in plants uh, uh, and, and being able to pull out the, um, the constituents of the plants that are going to be effective 
there, there's been research done. I mean, there's, there's tons of research out there and, uh, herbal medicine is no longer like this, uh, this sort of, uh, vague, uh, conglomeration of, uh, empirical formulations. Uh, there, there, there is science behind it. And so what I was able to do is I was able to use some of the herbal textbooks that we have, uh, checked out what kind of chemical compounds were in these products or in these, um, uh, in these plants and figure out, you know, how they were absorbed by the body and what was good enough for us to put in our formulation and what we didn't need in our formulation. So I was able to sort of narrow down the list. And can you just do something like this, like in at home, in your office? Like, how do you, do you have to work with, you have contract that kind of development out to uh, an outsider? Like, how do you even begin the process of creating a, a bomb? So, so this is a, uh, this is funny. I mean, I, I think, uh, most, uh, mo- most businesses are, are, uh, begun in the garage or in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we're no different. Um, the traditional methods of, uh, herbal preparation is, you know, a lot of times like they boil things, they steep, uh, herbal teas, uh, which I'm sure you've had an herbal tea before, mm-hmm. like chamomile, that's sort of an herbal decoction. So, uh, so there are different ways to um, uh, to prepare herbs that you can do in your home because that's sort of where people would do it traditionally. And so I started off there and uh, really uh, it, it kind of became like, OK, w- can we steep this herb for two hours to see if we can pull out a higher concentration of of, uh, of, of active ingredient from this herb? You know, how long do we need to uh, cook a product? or an herb before, you know, it, it burns or, you know, so there was a lot of trial and error in the actual formulation of it and testing. Uh, so yeah, I guess, uh, it started off in a, in the home, uh, and now we have a space and we, uh, we manufacture it there. What was that transition like to get into, to go from your home into, into a space? When you say space, are you still manufacturing this in-house or are you able to hire outside help to, to create this? Like what, what, what's, uh, what's involved there? So, so I, I create the, uh, the, the formulation. Um, I do a lot of the, uh, the manufacturing of the formula myself. Um, and then I also have another person who helps me along with it right now. We're trying to keep things under wraps because, uh, you know, we, we list all of the ingredients on the the product label, but the actual process itself is our intellectual property. And that's something that I'm not really ready to give up at this point. Mm. So uh, I, I have a tight wrap on uh, on on how the process of uh, creating Battle Bomb. Yeah, and I'm sure other entrepreneurs have gone through this or are going through this too, where they have some secret sauce, some kind of intellectual property that that they want to protect because that's the the core value that they're offering with their product. Uh, what steps have you taken? What steps do you recommend other people take to make sure that they have control over their their intellectual property to make sure that it doesn't leak out? You, you know, um, it it sort of depends. Uh, I, I'm really. Uh, you know, interested in, in trying to, uh, maintain control of the quality of the, the product. And, uh, you know, we, we've looked at outsourcing, uh, manufacturing of battle bomb, uh, to, to different locations, some domestically, some internationally, but, um, I've just, I just worry about the ability to keep the quality, uh, consistent and high enough 
to my standards because I'm somewhat of a uh, I'm somewhat OCD when it comes to making sure that the product is perfect before it leaves the warehouse. Um, so, uh, so, for, so, so I would say for for others, other entrepreneurs, um, find out where your value is. You know, I, I think that's super important. Uh, if 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 you really feel like you cannot outsource the the manufacturing uh, without losing the quality that you want to have. Uh, I would say try to keep it in house. I mean, it, it's obviously a little bit more legwork for sure when it comes to to doing something like that. But if that's where your um, uh, if that's where your focus is, I think, uh, and that's where your value is, I think that it's it's important to maintain that, you know, and it's probably easier than to outsource it yeah I mean, when you think of a bomb or some or any other kind of product that involves a lot of ingredients you you i would at least typically think that that is where the value is but you you're saying that you put the ingredients out there you list them you make it available for customers and of course any potential competitors can also see what the ingredients are but you, you're saying that the value that you're offering is in the quality that comes out of the process which you keep a tight control over and you essentially want to keep on the wraps how, how did you how did you identify that that's where the value was rather than in let's say the ingredients uh you know i'm i'm very much into transparency uh you know i think that in this day and age uh transparency is important for uh a business to to um represent themselves uh ideally you know we've, we've got nothing to really um uh, hide from our customers uh, we want them to to know full well what is in the product so that they can look it up themselves and say, you know, oh, hey, um, you know, I'm allergic to this, that and the other thing. Let me see if it's inside of the Battle One product. You know, we want to have that sort of um, open communication with our customer base so that if they do have questions or concerns, you know, they can contact us or they can read the label, you know, and just find out more. Mm-hmm. And because you are transparent and you you put all the science and the ingredients out on on full display, do the customers understand the the, the, the ingredients, the, the science behind it, or how do you educate them to make sure they understand the value of a specific type type of ingredient that you're placing in your product? So I I would say that most most of our customers uh, are are not quite interested in reading a full list uh, of ingredients, you know, they'll probably look at a few of the ingredients and then compare it to what they're already using. You know, if they already have a product and they can side by side compare our product to, you know, one of our competitors. I think that that's uh, I think that's a reasonable expectation for our customers. But we also market our product towards uh, the acupuncture community and the traditional Chinese medicine community. And those customers are much more savvy when it comes to uh, knowing what ingredients are in Battle Bomb. And I think for those customers, it provides a lot of value. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I'm noticing about when I introduced you, and also just looking at, at your site and the, the copy and the messaging and the marketing that I see present here, was that it, it, did you start off uh, essentially targeting a, a, an audience of uh, people that are uh, contact sports, that are in, in martial arts, or uh, other kind of sports that require this kind of, uh, I guess, therapy for any injuries or any muscle soreness, and then broaden your reach from there? Like, what was the process behind identifying? the market to, to, to market your product towards? 
when when I launched Battle Bomb, uh, I, I had I had very <laughs> very little money, and uh, you know, for me to reach out to a a broad uh, demographic mm-hmm. was just not not possible, and and nor was it reasonable. Um, so you know, the the name Battle and Battle Bomb is is because of where we found and created the formulas from uh, the the ancient Shaolin martial artists uh, mm-hmm. who used herbal medicine for their injuries, their aches, their pains. Um, battle bomb has sprouted from that. It sort of follows that lineage. So hence the name battle in the name battle Got bomb. Um, and so it was only fitting for us to, uh, to seek out uh, the combat, uh, the combat sport industry. And so we reached out uh, to them initially and we really, uh, we gave away a lot of samples you know, to, to combat fighters, uh, in San Diego, there's a, there's a huge MMA. Mm-hmm. A lot of professional fighters live down here because you can train, you know, 365 days a year. Um, so that was, a that was our, um, uh, initial target market was the, the combat sports. And you know what, those guys, they deal with a lot of pain, mm-hmm. you know, day in and day out training, fighting. Uh, so if our product, uh, was successful in that, uh, industry, then we knew that it was going to be successful elsewhere. Got it. So from, from there, you, you've expanded, you, you recognize that because this is going to work on the types of customers that are essentially power users that are going to need your product the most. And if it works for them, it can work for people that probably have way less injuries or way less pains and aches. Uh, how did you know when it made sense to expand your, your targeting beyond, uh, you know, combat sports athletes? Funny enough, um, you know, we, we did a lot of, uh, uh, like I said, we did a lot of uh, targeting uh, towards the MMA crowd. But uh, we started to get a, a big following of the uh, 60 and over crowd. Hmm. And uh, we, we never marketed towards them. We never advertised towards them. It just sort of uh, spread by word of mouth. And uh, when we started crunching some of the numbers, from the uh, the customers and the sales uh, uh, data that we that we gathered, we realized that um, th- there's a there's another market here, and so it wasn't originally uh, planned out to be that way. But I would probably imagine that uh, 20 to 25 percent of our customers are over 60 years old, and they're the ones that deal with arthritis, um, you know, and they just want to get back to their normal everyday activity. And Battle Bomb is a all natural product. Uh, so it can be used in conjunction with most of their medications without any harmful or side effects. Mm. So this has happened organically. You weren't actually targeting, uh, people that are 60 and over. I'm actually really interested in your ability to reach an audience of 60 and over. It's typically, (laughs) uh, it's typically a demographic that people will stay away from because they think that they're not online. So it's hard to reach them at scale and cheaply, you know, through, through online advertising. What's been your, your secret to reaching out to them, you know, beyond the word of mouth that you're saying that is already working for you organically, are you able to target them with online ads? I, I, I would have to say no. Um, I, yeah. you know, I, I think that, uh, for us, we, you know, we have a hard time reaching out to them as well, uh, online and, um, you know, word of mouth seems to be the, the number one way to reach them. You know, I, uh, uh, I still run an acupuncture clinic and I practice uh, 
part-time now. And uh, I see a lot of uh, older older clients come in and, you know, they tell their friends about Battle Bomb and that's just how it spreads and it's comfortable for them. And it just seems to be the, uh, the, the go-to way to reach that demographic. Got so this started off essentially one person at a time. They were, that was coming to your clinic. They were being introduced to your product and they were spreading the, the, the product work for them and they were telling their friends and family about it. Yeah, they just, uh, that's just how it spreads, you know? And I mean, it, it's, it's reasonable to assume because, it, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, the older crowd, I mean, they communicate with one another, uh, on, on a fairly regular basis. And I think a lot of them aren't so tech savvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if someone tells you something, I mean, you're more likely to believe it than if you read it online or in the newspaper. Got it. So I guess I think that the key lesson here is that to reach, uh, people that are 16 and over, you you have to be uh, have a presence, a physical presence, uh, in the places they're already visiting, like places like your clinic or or any other retail stores that they that they are visiting. Um, so, did you have to change up the way that you're packaging or marketing or branding the product to make it, uh, you know, more appealing? I guess because you know the name getting the uh, battle bomb name, you you wouldn't think that would be that attractive towards people that are sixty and over. So, did you have to change anything about the way you presented the product to to get them to be more, uh, I guess, open to trying it? Uh, no, we, we haven't changed anything, uh, anything as of yet. Uh, we do have something coming up, uh, in 2018, which would be one that is geared more towards that crowd. And it's going to be our silver edition. And so, uh, it'll probably have a few more, uh, nutrient rich ingredients to sort of help support skin health as well as fight pain. Yes. Got it. So not, not too much to, to say about online advertising towards uh, 60, <laughs> 60 and over, but um, what, what have you learned though about, about what people that are 60 and over, what do they care about? What do they care about? And that's about products, but about, about the companies that they're buying from. Like, What can entrepreneurs learn about how to position their company if they are to try to market towards an older demographic? I, I think uh, with the older demographic, I think building rapport is really important. Maybe opening up a booth at a farmer's market and inviting people in to come and talk. I think that's really the, the uh, is the best way to reach that demographic. Mm-hmm. And are they, once they try your product for the first time or they're telling their friends about it, are they then rebuying uh, online or are they still coming to you in person or into your clinic to buy directly from you? <laughs> Some of them, uh, they're... They're not too um, willing to share credit card information online. Mm-hmm. So th- there are people that even call me to this day for an order. And I just tell them, hey, you know what? Just call, leave a message if I can't answer the phone. And, uh, you know, I'll call them back and fill the order on the phone. The uh, <laughs> the, the 80s way, I guess. Got it. So you don't have, <laughs> they don't have to actually come in, but they are more willing to share their information over the phone rather than, than online. Yeah, a lot of times they just want to talk to a person, a human right. being. <laughs> that makes sense. I think those are great lessons for anyone that wants to to uh, market a product towards an older demographic. Um, so you mentioned earlier about getting started for the first time by giving out a lot of samples to your your core, your early target audience of, of uh, combat sports uh, athletes, mixed martial artists. Um, can you say a little bit more about what was the purpose of giving out the these samples? In the beginning, we, we wanted to uh, to reach out to the, the combat sports um, industry, and uh, we didn't find that they 
frequented the farmers markets or a lot of uh, trade shows. So, you know, it, it was again um, making phone calls, sending emails, uh, trying to connect with gyms to uh, to ask them if they had heard of our product, and then to ask them what they were using, and then we sent samples to say, hey, you know, compare us to uh, what you're using right now. And uh, we'd love some feedback. I mean, it wasn't just uh, just giving away free samples. We, we were definitely uh, reaching out and uh, gathering data. You know, did it work for you? How long did it take? What did it do compared to your, uh, your current topical pain reliever? So it, it, was, um, it, it was a way for us to gather data as well. Mm-hmm. So not only not not only giving out free uh, free stuff, right? I think um, that that's obviously super valuable, especially early on when you were taking this approach. You were you just going into gyms and talking, walking to people and talking to them, asking them they want to try your product. Like, how are you able to get someone to try your product for free, but then also be willing to give you feedback? I'm assuming you know days, weeks later. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, I, since in the beginning, you know, in the beginning, it was me. Um, and, uh, I was, uh, very psyched about the product and, uh, I was really excited to tell anybody and everybody about the product. So I was definitely the best person to go in and talk to people. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, you just stop into the gym and you say, Hey, you know, Hey, you guys, um, I'm also a martial artist, so I, I train, so I kind of, I'm more comfortable with a gym setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it was just walking in and talking to the guys and getting them comfortable with, you know, what it was. And I think, it, you know, I approached them in a non-salesy, non-pushy uh, type of way, you know, just basically saying like, hey, guys, we have some product here that we think is going to be really beneficial to your training. Here's why. Three reasons why. Give them the product and then, you know, uh, I'll check in in a week or so. You were checking in by going back to the location, the the gym, and then talking to them, or were you finding other yes. ways to follow up? So, um, so if they gave me an email address, um, you know, I'd follow up by email, but I would also go into the gym too, just mm-hmm. to say hi. Um, I think a lot of times uh, it, it's nice to connect a face with a name and a product in this case. Uh, so by seeing my face, I think it just kind of registered a little bit more with, uh, with these gyms. And then it wasn't sort of like a, it wasn't like we had some sort of fly by night company, you know, that was just going to be in and out and trying to sell them anything. You know, it was like, uh, a discussion, you know, Mm -hmm. we're a legitimate company. We're trying to build our brand. We have something that we think is great. Uh, let's talk, let's see how we can partner up. Right. So the other entrepreneurs out there can get a sense of how to plan for an approach like this. What was your success rate between uh, between giving your product for free to someone and then actually getting feedback from them? Was like was like 50 percent of people responsive or being uh, helpful or lower, higher? What what were your percentages? Uh, I'd say uh, we were, I mean, probably about 75 percent success rate, you know, and if I didn't get a sale from, from visiting, uh, I did get valuable feedback. Mm-hmm. That's just 75% as a 75% of people would end up buying or would end up giving you feedback. Uh, 75% would end up buying. They wow. would at least buy something. Uh, you know, the price points, uh, the price point of our two ounce, uh, tin is about $20. 
So mm-hmm. it's not really a, a huge outlay of, of cash for, for someone to try a product. Uh, so, so that in itself gave us a little bit more leeway, you know, um, it, it, you know, you're not like walking in and trying to sell like a $10,000, uh, you know, item. So, uh, so $20 wasn't really a, a, a big deal for, for people to purchase. So you gave them the, the product for free. You came back in a, a few days, a week or so, you were asking, you know, how, how did you like the product? Uh, what, what were you actually asking? Like how, how, how was the conversation? What kind of questions did you want to make sure you're able to ask these, these, um, potential customers? So, so it would usually go, um, like this, you know, how, how, how did you guys, uh, like the product? Uh, and they would answer, you know, uh, yeah, we got a chance to test it out. You know, we do a lot of Muay Thai fighting, kickboxing. Um, uh, how did you use the product? That one of the, the, the big questions for me was how did you use the product? Uh, did you use it for pre-training? Did you use it for post-training? Did you use it for, um, uh, uh, injury? Uh, did you use it for post-surgery? Um, what, what did you use it for? And then, you know, that would kind of open up a little bit more dialogue. I mean, a lot of a lot of professional fighters like to talk about their injuries, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so uh, as a honor, right? It, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, did you like it? Did it work for you? What did it do? Um, what did you not like about it? Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in uh, in positive and negative feedback being important. Uh, so you know, and without without being um, uh, too, too direct, you know, I would ask them, you know, what, what would it take for, for you guys to either carry this in your gym or to, uh, buy, um, buy wholesale from us and just give it out to your fighters? Like what, like what, what would it take? And, uh, you know, the, the discussion was, uh, was really pretty open, you know, like I said, if, if you go into a, a gym or, uh, someplace and you're trying to, to really hard sell somebody, I think people really, they pick up on that quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're actually trying to help someone and you approach them as such, uh, I, I believe it's much more well-received. Right. So I like that question, which was, uh, what would it take for you to essentially buy this product? What kind of responses were you getting? Uh, we get responses like, uh, oh, your, your product, uh, doesn't really fit what we're trying to do. Um, or it's too expensive or, uh, we already buy from, uh, so-and-so we already buy something else from, you know, brand X, brand Y. Um, uh, this product hasn't been, you know, proven by us. Um, you know, and so it it would be, it, it would run the gamut or we, or, or I'd get a response like, yeah, we'll try, you know, a couple of cases of your product and we'll see, you know, what happens. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd say, sure, you know, throw in a couple of t-shirts, some swag for your, your fighters or your, um, your members, your gym members. Yeah. I think the immediate reaction a lot of times when you are working on a, a product, especially in your case where you spent two years developing this product in when you are going out there to introduce your, your baby to the world and then people are coming back and saying, oh, it doesn't really fit or it's not really proven yet. I think the gut, like the instinct, the reaction is to defend it to some degree, right? You say, oh, no, no, no. You kind of try to cover the objections or at least respond to the objections. 
what was your process? What did, did you end up doing that? Did you end up like, how, how do you take that kind of information and what do you actually do with it? Do you respond right away or do you go back in and fix it, I guess, or, you know, address that, that feedback internally first before you come back? What's your approach? I, um, I, I try to be very, very zen about the whole thing. Uh, you know, when, when I'm in discussions with somebody, uh, 97% of a conversation is uh, is unspoken. It's, you know, in body language and, you know, uh, eye movement, you know, you facial facial expressions. So, you know, I would try to figure out exactly, you know, what it was that they were telling me. And uh, if if it was something that was was a realistic reason, like a, a real reason for them not to use the product, uh, then, you know, there's nothing I can really say about it. But if it was sort of a, yeah, it just doesn't fit, you know, I would always want to work with, with, with a group, you know, the gym or um, the, uh, the, the gym owners or the managers of the fighters, you know, what, what can we do together to, to make this work? So I, I'm always willing to negotiate uh, just about anything and everything. And a lot of times we would come to a reasonable agreement that was mutually beneficial. Mm. So two things there that you mentioned was that in some cases there were responses they gave that were essentially equated to a hard no where there's no way to overcome it. Can you give an example of that? Like, What are some things that you should really just stop pressing once they give this type of response? So uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite clear. Uh, like when they say, mm-hmm. are, are you asking me that uh, when they say no, like, no, this product is not for us. No, we don't want it. Yeah, well, you mentioned that uh, in, in some some reasons that that uh, these uh, locations gave you uh, what was a, a reason that would basically mean that okay, there's nothing else that we can do here. Are there examples that you can give that that of a reason that someone gave that made you realize okay, I should move on to another location, another potential customer? Yeah, you know, um, if if someone approaches me and says, you know, hey. Uh, it's not, it's not in the finances for us to do, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, I mean, there, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room around that. I would always try to look for opportunity in, in that, uh, okay, so it's not in your finances. Well, what if we were to possibly trade, you know, social media, uh, mm-hmm. posts or tweets or, um, you know, pictures with your pro fighters here, you know, uh, holding up the product, like there's value in that for me. So if you are willing to, uh, to trade that for some product, that would be, that, that would work out. Bartering is, uh, is important early on, you know, because a lot right. of time you don't have extra capital to spend. Yeah. I like that approach where you're not going in there just looking for one outcome and just you know, hard set on, I need to sell this product. I need to exchange this for cash. You're going into these uh, discussions with your know, potential customer, potential distributors or, re- or, or different locations. And you're essentially seeing what kind of out- outcomes could come out of it. And then taking what makes sense, anything that will essentially move you one step closer to towards, uh, you know, eventually a sale. Correct. I, I, I look at it as a, uh, you know, if, if there's a way that we can work together, let's try and find it. Right. You know, I, I try to be pretty flexible on what um, what type of partnerships I, I enter into, and uh, I feel like that also uh, it it's it takes the edge off of selling a product. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're not you're not looking to 
exchange product for money anymore. It's how do we work together? Right. Now, based on this feedback that you were getting, were there any any kind of feedback that made you make changes to the product itself, the marketing or the messaging of the product? Uh, interesting. Um, <clears throat> interesting question. Uh, I, I wouldn't say uh, that, that we're quite willing to to change the the message of the product you know we 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 reached out to combat sports to the combat sports industry and um uh this this product and the uh the emotions and feelings behind the initial launch of the product was geared towards that industry Uh, but as we start to branch out into other industries like, say, the CrossFit industry, um, extreme sports, um, powerlifting, uh, you know, w- once we start reaching out into other industries, I think the message is going to have to change uh, to be a little bit more all encompassing. Uh, and that's something that, that we're looking looking towards doing in 2018. That, that's on the table. Got it. Now, I'll talk a little about the, the timeline for, for your, your business. Uh, do, do you remember how long it took to go from the first sale to your, your first 100 sales? Ah, um, let's see. First sale to 100. One to 100. I believe uh, the first sale happened, um, you know, it, it was the first sale was in my clinic. You know, it was a it was a cash exchange, and uh, the hundred sale did happen on Shopify, mm-hmm. and uh, I would imagine it was about uh, about eight months before we hit one hundred. It was a while. Right. Then, what about the next uh, order of magnitude up to a thousand sales? Would that happen faster? Or what was the the how long did it take to go from a hundred to like a thousand? Yeah, that was that that was much much faster. I, I would say that was on the order of uh, another eight months. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Did the source of traffic and and sales change when you went from the first one to the first one hundred compared to the hundred to one thousand? The source of the traffic, uh, yeah, you, you know, I can only sell so many um, of the product in my clinic. Uh, we we also list our products on Amazon on eBay. Uh, we list on a couple of other, uh, websites and, uh, we also sell our products in, in, uh, clinics too. Um, so the, the, the traffic had changed, uh, in the very beginning, it was mainly my clinic, um, and then through our website and then, uh, more of the sales started coming in from Amazon and eBay and other websites. Uh, they would do promotions and they would sell our products. Uh, so yeah, the sources would change. Um, now it's sort of uh, leveled out. We, we get, I imagine, uh, probably 30-40% of our, our sales are through Shopify. Uh, we get about 30-40% to 40% through um, uh, direct wholesalers uh, calling and ordering. And then the rest of it is through other online retailers. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that these other online retailers, I'm assuming you're talking about like Amazon, eBay, they would run promotions for your product? Uh, the ones who would run promotions would be the uh, the smaller online uh, retailers. Mm, got it. Uh, Amazon and eBay, you know, you have to you have to advertise through them. 
Right. How, how are these promotions set up? Did you reach out to them? Did they do it on your behalf? Or how do you set up a, up, up a promotion with, uh, with an online retailer? A lot of times they would ask us for permission. Hey, can we uh, discount this, you know, 10 to 15%? Uh, we want to run a sale for, you know, the month of August. And uh, we would agree to it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy when it comes to moving merchandise. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'd be okay with, with them doing it. Uh, but it would be a, like a members only thing. Uh, we have a minimum advertised price online. So uh, you cannot advertise uh, lower than the minimum set. But to your members, you're allowed to discount the, the product. So users would have to log in to get a discounted price on Got the it. online retailer's website. Yes. I see. So is that how it usually works where if you have a minimum advertised price that you are setting, you know, to be fair across all your retailers and all of the, the Amazon, eBay as well? Do you then, or, you, or do you have, you have flexibility in allowing that price to, to dip below that as long as it's, you know, behind like a, essentially a, a wall? Yes. Um, as long as it is uh, uh, not advertised, uh, they're allowed to, to drop the price to whatever they'd like to um, in order to move merchandise. And that's fine. I understand, you know, every every product has a life uh, lifespan. So uh, in order to uh, to bring new, fresher product in. Sure. It's just part of the part of the cycle. Got it. Now, how are you able to are you, are you able to say what the retailers you work with? Like, how are you able to identify what the retail online retailers to 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 uh, to reach out to them to carry your product? At, at this point, uh, I, I don't really I've, I've kind of taken a step back from from that uh, from that sort of work. So I can't mm-hmm. really uh, elaborate on on who exactly I've, I've got a team of people that work for me that that are working on that aspect of it. Got it. Very cool. So now when you go to these bigger platforms like Amazon and eBay, what's your what's your role there in terms of driving traffic to your product pages and, and sales? Uh, so so we have a product page uh, for Battle Bomb on, say, uh, Amazon um, that we've designed. But uh, we're actually looking more to stepping back away from individual customer sales and selling um to wholesalers. So for us, uh, we would eventually want to get back into um, just pure manufacturing and then having all of our products just distributed. Mm-hmm. So we're in the process of stepping away from dealing with individual customers. Got it. What's the decision behind that? It's just uh, from, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, if we can move more product, it's just easier for us. Uh, I, I sort of, I, I know where, where my strengths are. And, uh, like I said before, I, I want to keep the, uh, the intellectual property in house. So if I can focus on the manufacturing and, uh, uh, making sure that the quality of the product is high, uh, then I can go out and do more of the public relations type of work. And that's sort of what I'd rather be doing anyhow. Got it. So when you are shifting over to to uh, working with a uh, uh, selling directly wholesale to to retailers, your marketing is going to be focused more on on PR. What what what, what, what was that? What you're saying? So our marketing is going to be geared towards uh, people who are going to be buying our product in bulk. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at uh, gyms, medical offices, 
um, people who are selling our product on online retail stores uh, like Amazon and eBay um, and basically shifting our focus away from the individual customer towards the uh, wholesale customer. Mm -hmm. And how does that change your, your marketing and, and PR? Uh, the, the PR, you know, I'm, I'm very willing to go and, and, uh, talk to, uh, individuals about the product. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I love, I love interacting with, with our customers. Uh, the, the PR is going to be mainly for us to put a face on the brand. And, uh, that, that's kind of my next step. Uh, you know, we're going to be working, trying to work with, um, a lot more, uh, high profile, uh, influencers in, uh, multiple industries. And I think it's important for me to present the product to them personally. I, th that connection to me is very, very important. Got it. So these are, you're talking about like, you know, face-to-face -face meetings or one-on-one -on -one meetings with, with, uh, essentially the, the, the big players in the, in the space, the, the different, uh, retailers that you are trying to get your products into. Absolutely. Got it. Now I'll talk a little bit about uh, your the, the website, the way that it's um, set up, and, and the kind of tools that you use for this. Was this the site designed in house? Did you hire a team to help you build out the site? Uh, I I have a uh, a couple of uh, designers that that work for me, and uh, they're the ones that have put together the website in a fashion that I would have never dreamed possible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I have a, a t talented uh, team and, uh, you know, they tell me sort of what the uh, uh, what things like what websites should look and feel like nowadays. Um, so they mm -hmm. sort of catered our website to 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 look and feel uh, like a premium professional website. What kind of changes have you have have you and your team made onto the onto the the online onto the website? Uh, you know, with strictly to design in a way that looks modern or design a way that looks, uh, you know, like the way sites should look as you as you worded it. I, I was the first one who uh, who designed the website, and I have to admit it was pretty awful. <laughs> and uh, when my designers came in and uh, and streamlined everything. Uh, one of the first things that they did was to make the website user friendly on multiple uh, devices. Um, I'm, I'm a laptop guy myself, so if it looks good on a laptop, it, mm -hmm. it, it's fine. Um, but there's so many of our customers and um, uh, people who visit the website that visit it on a mobile. Uh, so making sure that it was very platform friendly was a was super important. Uh, allowing uh, uh, people to purchase the product with just a few clicks. That was also very important. Um, I, I really uh, commend the uh, Shopify platform for, for really allowing us so much versatility with what we could do with this website while giving us a template to work with. Right. Now, did you design, did you guys have a, a pick a specific theme for, for the site or was that all done custom? It started off as a theme, but I would say probably at this point, 90% of it is custom. Got a, it. A custom, fully custom website. What about applications? Do you use any, any application, any Shopify apps or even apps off of Shopify that you use to help run the business? Uh, so my team, they're, uh, 
they're all over the place. Uh, so for communications, uh, we use uh, the Slack channel to, to communicate, and we also use an app called Notion. Uh, it allows us to sort of organize our thoughts and data, and uh, we can tag one another, and it's really, really useful for us to communicate with one another uh, on a non-real-time basis. Uh, in Shopify, uh, we, we use MailChimp uh, quite a bit. Uh, we, we also have uh, T-shirts that we sell, uh, and we, we've linked up with uh, Printful, so it's a print-on-demand uh, um, application. So that, that, that's great for us. Um, we use Zapier, uh, another app that I really, really like. Um, Zapier has kind of helped us sort of automate some of the, the interconnectedness of the apps that we run um, in the background and collecting data and whatnot. So that's also a great app. Uh, and Wholesale Hero, uh, that lays on top of our website and allows uh, our wholesale customers to just go directly online and purchase and they get their wholesale pricing and it's fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you mentioned uh, apparel and, and, and t-shirts and using Printful. I think this is a, a uh, avenue that a lot of other brands want to take that might not be focused specifically on merchandise, but they want to sell merchandise on top of what they already sell. Any lessons learned from this approach? Because you know your merchandise is not the core value of your business. The core value of business is the product and the and the the, the I guess essentially pain relief that, that it offers. Uh, but you are now also selling merchandise. Any any tips you can they can offer for other entrepreneurs that are in the same position where the merchandise is not their core offering, but they want to essentially add on as uh, along with their with their brand. Yeah, I think uh, you know there there are quite a few um, apps out there now and companies out there that'll do print on demand for you. Uh, Shopify makes it super easy for us to link up with Printful, and um, uh, you, you know when working with uh, with a with another company to do merchandising, uh, I, I think having a good designer is, is very important. Um, a lot of times the, uh, the design needs to be um, well thought out. Uh, dimensions need to be uh, perfect on your design before you send it off to the third party to print. Um, and, and for me, being a non, uh, non-creative type, uh, I didn't understand how detailed printing a design was from the image that's created to getting it on a t-shirt. You know, I mean, sometimes you can, you can send a design that is, you know, 13, 14 inches tall in the artwork itself and the print house will print it at six inches, something that you may or may not have wanted. Uh, So those types of things are are really important. Uh, Getting samples, extremely important to see the print quality and to make sure that the design house is actually doing things to the standard that you want. Um, Printful, you know, is, is a great company to work with. You know, they, they ship fairly quickly um, and they offer samples at discounted price. And it's just, uh, I would have never, I would have never decided to take this on if it wasn't so easy. <laughs> that mm. makes sense. For sure. So what can we ex- expect or what can you reveal about what to expect in, in 2018 from Battle Bomb? Uh, in 2018, uh, we've got a lot of stuff in store. Uh, we're, we're running an Indiegogo campaign. We're going to try to crowd 
uh, crowdsource funds for us to uh, expand even more. Um, uh, I, I may uh, dabble with the idea of, of uh, Shark Tank again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they had contacted us a couple years back, and I just wasn't ready to uh, to, to, to to get on the show and and maybe get eaten alive. <laughs> um, but uh, we've got uh, uh, slightly more streamlined packaging coming. Uh, we've got uh, pre-printed tins that are coming. Uh, so we've got a nice, uh, actually a beautiful new uh, metal tin that the products will be shipped in. And uh, we've got some new products on the horizon. Um, like I, I mentioned earlier, we've got the uh, Battle Bomb Silver Edition that's going to be geared specifically towards the uh, the older crowd, which uh, I, I believe is going to be a big hit. Um, we, uh, we also are spinning off uh, our CBD brand. Uh, we had a uh, Battle Bomb Plus CBD uh, product on our website for a little while, but um, due to rules and regulations uh, mm-hmm. that are not completely uh, uh uh, static. Uh, we are going to launch another brand uh, in 2018 with uh, CBD enhanced pain relief. Very cool. So battlebomb.com is where you can go to check all of this out. B-A-T-T-L-E-B-A-L-M.com. Thank you so much again for your time, Dylan. Great, Felix. It was wonderful talking to you. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. So just go straight from Kickstarter to Indiegogo. So if someone saw like an old Facebook post, they could still have a way to buy the product even if the Kickstarter ended. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.